growing a business in a small town. It's something that sounds really romantic and it can have a ton of benefit, but it can also be kind of hard <laughs> as I have discovered. And there's some unique challenges that show up for anyone who is growing any sort of business in a rural area. And that is why when I was thinking about this topic, there was one person that came to mind and I absolutely knew I had to have her on this season. So Dana Larson is an entrepreneur based out of rural Iowa and Franklin, Tennessee, and anywhere the road takes her in between. She's the founder and podcast host of Rural Revival, which showcases the hardworking people who are finding creative ways to do life in rural communities all across America. Dana also serves her audience as a member of the Governor's Empower Rural Iowa Task Force and co-creator of The Ruralist. Beyond that, Dana brings her clients creative and strategic solutions for brand ignition and social marketing through Spark7, her consulting company, and she also runs a nonprofit record label. So she is one busy lady. She actually came to our homestead a couple years ago, and I was on her podcast, and so I'm thrilled to have her on mine. She's a wealth of information. If you are in a small town, you want to move to a small town, uh, you are going to love this episode. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Dana, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you again. You too. And um, for those of you, you probably don't know, I mean, I, I shared it a long time ago when I was on Dana's podcast, but she actually came to my house uh, when was that? What year? 2019 Two years ago already. Yeah. Yeah. And you did a podcast interview here, which was super fun. And yeah. so now I guess I have her on my podcast. So I've been looking forward to this conversation. I was actually out in the garden this morning going, I just can't wait to talk about this because it's really important. And there's not a lot of conversation, at least in my circles about, you know, there's a lot of small town living, but not like, how do we navigate this in its uniqueness? So it's going to be good. Yes. Alrighty. So I guess let's just kick it off. Give everybody a little bit of background on kind of what you do and why rural revival and small town living is such a passion for you. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm in Iowa and when I graduated, I always tell this story, but my whole class was sitting around a campfire by a pond, a farm pond, like the night before we graduated. And I just remember everybody saying, I wish there was a way we could stay here. We're a very ag-based community, which is what a lot of our small towns are. And unless you had a job in ag, this was kind of pre-work from home internet. Um, there just wasn't really jobs available for us, and especially after college. So uh, we all knew that we probably wouldn't live in our hometown anymore. And it was just kind of sad. And I, I never forgot that. And as the years went by, I found myself living in Nashville and I would drive home through all these small towns and I just would be like, what can we do to try to save our towns? Because this was a special place to grow up. And I know that we have something special here in rural America. 
And I just want people to see the opportunity that I see here. And I think living in Nashville, like it's such an entrepreneurial city. And so people are coming up with these cool business ideas all over the place. And I would see things and be like, oh, that would work in, you know, small town America or, ooh, that we could do that. So, and then I started to have friends too, who were kind of of that same mindset and they started to move back and open really cool businesses. And so I was home for Christmas one year and it just kind of like blurted out of my mouth. I was like, I feel like I should start a podcast and tell your stories about what you're doing. And everyone sitting around the table was like, you have to do it. And so that was kind of the, just the start of the idea. And I didn't know anything about podcasting, but I just felt like I was supposed to do it. Like it was a calling. And uh, so I started just by recording my friends, interviewing them and putting out their podcasts. And it didn't take long before people I didn't even know were emailing me and contacting me saying, how can you help my business? How can you help my town? And so I realized I was onto something and I just kind of developed it from there. I mean, I feel like Rural Revival, you know, it started as a podcast. Now it's evolved into events and, you know, a merch line and all kinds of stuff like that. But, and it continues to evolve. And I just really want it to be a community where like-minded people can come together and support one another. And we can together help save our small towns. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I feel like it's so needed because sometimes as people who are forward thinking and living in a small town, I feel sometimes like the odd man out when I go to entrepreneur conferences or business type conferences, because everyone else is like in Denver or Nashville or Chicago, and they have so many resources and all their friends are into, like you said, you, your, your friends were kind of that same minded, but you know, these people are in these giant networking groups and I'm like, Oh, it's just me in my town who thinks like this. I'm a weirdo. And so, yeah. And it's, we, it's isolating. So it's, I love that you filled this need. I think it's so important. Thank you. Yeah. It's been really fun. And the best part is just all the great people I've gotten to meet along the way, like you and um, yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah. So many, so many good people in the small towns. I think they're still my, some of my favorite people, all the the people with the vision and who are willing to live in those rural areas and bring it to light. It's good stuff. Good people. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I can pop in anywhere and you just feel like you're among your people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think, I think COVID, I think it was on this trajectory already, but COVID kind of really kicked it into high gear. There's a a massive resurgence in interest around maybe not even business in small towns, maybe partially that, but just living in small towns, you know, people are leaving the big cities and buying up houses and land and real estate just to like get out of the crowded areas. Do you think this is just a trend because of what we saw with COVID or is this something that you feel like can be more long lasting? I definitely feel like it can be long lasting. I feel like we were trying so hard to get there before COVID and COVID obviously had a a lot of negative impact, but one of the really great positive impacts of COVID is that it showed everybody that we can work from anywhere as long as we have internet. And so for these small towns that have been a little bit ahead of the curve and and gotten great broadband service to their towns, I mean, you're already there and you can accommodate anyone with a city job who wants to live in the country. Um, And I just love that it proved like you don't have to live in a city to work, you know, a bunch of these jobs. Now, some you have to be there, but um, there's so many ways that we can work from home and the quality of life here is excellent, you know? So I think it just kind of boosted that. And I just think it's going to keep going in that direction. I really do. Yeah, I sure hope so. Cause it's such a good thing. I think. 
Yeah. And and good for the small towns too, which needed that little pop sometimes Mm -hmm. just to kind of get them rolling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In all of the people you've been helping in the workshops you do and the entrepreneurs you connect with, what kinds of businesses are you seeing? Like if you have a town that's been kind of quiet or maybe, uh, what, what's the word repressed or depressed or whatever for uh, for a long period of time. And you have someone forward thinking coming in, they're like, how can I help this town? Are there any particular types of businesses you see being better than others as far as getting that momentum going? You know, coffee shops are, in demand, definitely. So I see a lot of that. I think a restaurant in a certain, depending on where you're at, can also be a big win. Some places just need a boutique or a gift shop or something that is a little bit of everything. 30 miles, 60 miles to get that. And um, I always encourage towns when they're trying to figure out, okay, what is our greatest need? Sometimes it helps to go back to what you used to have. Like Jill, I know you guys are restoring that soda fountain and stuff. Well, that is something really cool that your town used to have and you know, you're bringing it back. And sometimes the answers to those questions are in what used to be there and what, what makes sense to bring back. Now, not everything we can bring back in times of change. So maybe it doesn't make sense, but I have found more often than not, if you're looking at kind of what used to be there, there's often, you know, kind of a little bit of a roadmap for you there. Um, but honestly, you know, think about the things that you, that you have to go somewhere for that you're like, man, if I didn't have to go an hour for that, that would be so awesome. So, and, and coffee shops, I, I recently did a, a live rule survey. It was called where I surveyed, uh, hundreds of people from rural America. And I just asked them, what's the number one thing you want to see in your town? And I was surprised by this answer. They said arts and entertainment. And yeah. And so what I love about that answer is you can do some things in that, in that arena that aren't super expensive, like bring a band to town for some live music, or, you know, you can incorporate that kind of stuff, especially into a coffee shop setting, which is kind of why I brought that up. But, um, there's a lot of things that you can do, you know, a mural on the side of a building, these types of things are all things that, you know, aren't going to cost you a million dollars but can make a really positive impact in your town. And, you know, it's something that's not like a huge giant undertaking. And so I encourage people to start there too, because I'm like the, the data shows that people are wanting that stuff. And it really is an affordable and maybe perhaps easier way for people to start jumping in there. And then once you start doing something like that and gaining momentum, momentum is so key because once you get that started, then if you can keep it rolling, it just builds and builds and builds and multiplies. And that really works to your advantage. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that with just our move and, you know, in our little town with the soda fountain. Um, Cause it, it was, it is slash was such a risk for us to take and scary mm-hmm. and big, <laughs> but yes. we've already had people come just watching us willing to take the risk and go, well, what if we bought this or what if we did this? And it, like you said, that momentum is so key. It's hard to get the snowball rolling, but once it gets rolling even slowly, I think it does pick up speed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I commend you guys for doing that because that's what our towns need is just that first person to kind of take the jump and then it starts to build excitement. So, yeah. 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 And that arts and entertainment really was interesting that what you said about that. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I have noticed in things that we've done here, not always, there are exceptions, but you know, if I host an event or a class in the bigger towns around us, it's harder to sometimes get people to come because they have so many options. Mm-hmm. But when we host a class or event in our tiny town, 
is such a novelty because there's not a lot to do and they don't have to drive. And so we actually get more attendance for certain things here, which seems, you know, weird, but I, I think that people are starved for that entertainment, arts, things like that. They don't have to go drive an hour to go be a part of. So that, that makes sense when I, I guess, when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting, but I'm glad that's what they're hungry for. We can provide that. (laughs) For sure. For sure. What benefits, if you have an entrepreneur or or a homesteader, because we're really focused on homestead business here in this season, if they're looking at investing in a business in this, let's say they have a small town near them or, you know, branching out and going into a larger town in their surrounding area, what kind of benefits would they have in investing in that small town versus the big city with all the people and all the lights and all the, the flash? I mean, are there benefits to that? Absolutely. You know, just the cost of, of real estate is a lot cheaper. Um, so that works to your advantage for sure. I also think, you know, our people in rural communities, they want to support local. And so I think part of the barrier is that sometimes there just is no opportunity to. So if the opportunity were there, and especially like with our generation, Jill, we are a generation that loves to support local and we will you know, even drive further or spend a little more money to be able to do that because that's important to us. And I, I don't know what makes our generation different that way, but it is a characteristic of, you know, the younger generation. And, and I love that. And I think it's so important that we have that kind of mindset. Um, But yeah, I think our rural towns, you know, we have these beautiful old buildings, most of them that are either sitting empty or being used as a storage facility for someone, you know, and, and there's a lot there. Now I will say a key part of making that work is having the owner sell you that building for a reasonable price. Sometimes we have owners who sit on those buildings and they're like, my building's worth a million dollars. Well, it is a really cool building and it does have a really cool history But, you know, nothing's been done to it for 60 years. So there's an investment that the new owner has to make just to kind of bring it up to the current date and fix a few things that have maybe been in disrepair for a bit. So, you know, you have to keep those things in mind. But I have found that the towns that are booming with like millennial entrepreneurs are the ones where the people who own the buildings have been willing to sell them for a reasonable price to give these businesses an opportunity to make it work. And I'm just shocked by when that happens. I mean, these people are eager to come in and they've built amazing communities in towns with a population of like 250 you know, so that's pretty cool when you stop and think about it. Absolutely. Do you have any tips for dealing with that situation? Because we definitely have that in our area. Some properties we've looked at that are just like, it's way too much. For, I mean, they're barely even safe to walk through and they're asking so much money. When mm-hmm. someone's in that situation, do you have any tips for navigating that? My best advice for you would be to kind of try to get a cost estimate of what it would take for you to get that building up to code or just where it needs to be so that you can fully function and operate out of that building. And I think sometimes when you show the owner, this is the investment I'm going to have to make after I buy the building, then it kind of gives them a better idea of like, wow, okay, I guess, you know, they can't really afford to pay a huge amount for the building itself and then do all of that because that'll bankrupt a business before it starts. Right. And so, um, I would recommend that. And sometimes, you know, planting seeds is always can be effective. Like sometimes you just have to plant that seed and they might say no at first, but don't give up. 
you know, let a little time pass, let them think about it and then come back and say, have you thought about that a little more? Are you sure you don't want to sell? Stuff like that. Um, Because sometimes these buildings have a lot attached to them, you know, whether it's someone's memories from when they used to be there as a kid, or maybe it was a family business, you know, and that building belonged to their family and it's hard for them to let it go. There's just a lot of personal attachment to those buildings. And so sometimes it takes people time to work through that and to be okay with like, okay, can I sell this out of my family? Am I okay with that? You know, but knowing that somebody has a plan for it um, to give it a better future, I think give them time to work through that. And a lot of times they'll come around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, I've noticed that thing with, with the memories, like what do I, part, I love, I love having old timers come in and tell me stories about the building we bought or whatever, but yep. I have noticed it can sometimes skew our perception of what, what's going to work and what's not. And <laughs> I understand, right. That's when you, you've grow, grown up in a place and your mm-hmm. mom and dad were there. I mean, it's hard to let go, but that's definitely yeah. something that is formidable sometimes. Well, and I always say like our small towns have these amazing histories. They do. But if we don't create a new history for them, all they'll have is that past history, you know? And so it's all about forward thinking, like how can we bridge that gap too? How do we take that past history and bring it into modern day in a way that makes sense that still keeps that history moving forward? I like that. Uh, yeah, very good point. Yeah. So what about, um, and we've talked a little bit about if you're doing a brick and mortar or something or other with buildings, how would this work if you were a more of like an online presence or you were doing something that didn't require necessarily a storefront or a restaurant? Can that still have positive impact on a local community? I think it can. You know, I would, if you're successful in the online space, that doesn't always mean you should open a brick and mortar. You know, I think it has to make sense for your business model and it has to make sense for your local crowd. Or are you part of a bigger thing, like maybe the Kentucky Bourbon Trail or, you know, something like that, where you're drawing people to your town so that you will get traffic through a brick and mortar if there isn't anything else there to draw them. So you have to take a lot of factors into consideration. Um, I will say it doesn't always make sense for people, you know, as much as we'd love to see you go into a brick and mortar in your small town. If it doesn't make sense for your business, don't feel like you have to, you know, you're still actually Lindsay Garber, who is like a a Western wedding photographer. She said on on an interview I did with her, She said, you know, I make my money actually outside of my hometown so that I can live in my hometown and pour into my hometown. And that's what that looks like for some of us. You know, I mean, there's different ways that we can support our communities and that may not always be through brick and mortar. Um, But I also think there are creative ways that we can have both. So, you know, you have to just look at what makes sense for you. And, and maybe also I've seen what has been successful is someone may have a stronger online presence, but they collaborate or partner with someone else and they split the space and then it works for everybody. So don't be afraid of that either, because sometimes it's just nice to have that cushion of another person, you know, paying the monthly rent or paying the electric with you where you don't have all the responsibility on yourself then. Absolutely. I like what you said about sometimes making money elsewhere so you can still stay. Um, and that was our case for you know a decade is yeah. I was doing my online stuff. It really wasn't connected to our local community, but it was allowing us to be here. Otherwise we wouldn't have been able to live here because <laughs> yeah. there wasn't the type of jobs we needed. So I, I like that perspective. I think that's really helpful. It doesn't always have to be the obvious brick and mortar. Every single well, time. and I think with your audience, you know, you guys all create the coolest products. 
you know, and I love that about your community. And so it may just be like someone else who has a brick and mortar who can sell your stuff there. You know, maybe that's your connection to the brick and mortar and where people can get your stuff in town or in surrounding towns that are maybe a little farther out from where you're at. So that'd be something I would encourage for this group is just think of opportunities where that could be possible for you. Summer is basically here and we're all spending way more time outside working in the garden and around the barnyard. And one of the things I love to treat myself with at the end of a long day of working on the homestead is a sweet drink when I sit out on the back porch and watch the sun go down. Now, this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but I kind of like Coke and other pops and sodas, but I do try to avoid them. And one of the ways I do that is by playing around with different flavors of iced tea. I like to add a little stevia or honey or maple syrup, a whole bunch of ice, and everybody is happy, even the kids. However, I have learned that not all teas are created equal. A lot of the teas that you might find at the grocery store have been treated with pesticides or they're packaged in bleached tea bags or they're loaded with a bunch of artificial junk. Thankfully, I have found some organic loose leaf teas that are amazing. The Positively Tea Company is family owned and operated and they take their tea very seriously. They have zero added sugars, but the taste and quality are amazing. Plus their prices are hard to beat. I especially love the value of the one pound bags, which means you're basically getting four times the tea for only twice the price. So to grab your loose leaf teas for your summer nights on the homestead or the back porch, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash tea, and you can get an additional 10% off your entire order with the code homestead. And now back to our episode. So let's say someone has an interest in creating more economy or more some revival in their town, mm-hmm. but they don't have a business idea. They don't know where to start. They're not sure if they have the investment to, you know, just pour into the town. What would you suggest for that type of person? You know, I might start if there's a way you could survey your town. A lot of our communities have like a town Facebook group or page, and that would be a great place to just be like, what kind of business would you like to see come here and see what people have to say? Or what do you think we're missing in our town? And feedback is like so valuable. I mean, even when we think about our social media pages, I love when I'm trying to think of what I should do next, asking my audience because they'll tell me. And so if you ask your people around, like, what do you think's missing here? Or what do you, what would benefit you most? You'll be surprised by what they share. And you'll probably find a common denominator somewhere in there where you're like, okay, this looks like the biggest need. And then you can start there. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can either rent a building if you can't afford to buy one at first. Um, You can work with your city. You know, sometimes the city will actually offer some discounts or some perks to you if you were to start a business there. Cause maybe they just, they're like, we just got to get something in here to get the ball rolling. They may be able to give you some incentives, you know? And so don't be afraid to at least ask because you never know. There's also a lot of grants available out there. Um, And I'll just give you this tip. Like I have a monthly group that meets or a weekly group that meets and we, it's all small town people and we have guest speakers on and we had somebody come on about grant writing and she shared with us that um, 
she actually, she's the person who reads the grants that come in. And she said she actually likes reading the ones that are not written by a professional because it's so personal that way. And I just share that to like take the pressure off of you to be like, oh, I don't know how to write a grant. You don't have to like just share from your heart. And that will come across in that application. And you would be surprised by um, the money that is available through different grants and things like that. Um, A lot of it has to be matched. So it may require somewhat of a contribution on your end, or maybe your town's willing to contribute to something like that. But I think there's a lot of different options. And like I said, that can be a real win for people because maybe if you survey your town, you find like there's really three big needs. Well, what if those three things could all share a space and start there, you know? Um, So I just encourage people too to think outside the box and not feel like I have to buy a building. I can be the only business there. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get creative and maybe you even start out as a pop-up. You know, I've seen a lot of success with that. Like, find an empty building in a town or a space that you can rent from someone else who already has a shop, but maybe like in the back room or out front or whatever it may be. And just do it for a weekend and see how it goes, test it out. And that I have known businesses that have started that way. And now they have, you know, multiple locations and brick and mortars. But um, if that works best for you, try it out. I always say I'm willing to try something once (laughs) and see if it works. And if it doesn't, well, at least I know. But if it does, then it was totally worth trying it. And you never know what could come from it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any tips for folks if they want to look into grant possibilities or, or programs? Where would they start with that sort of thing? Your local, like I'm located in the state of Iowa. So we have the Iowa Economic Development Authority. And for each state, the title is a little bit different, but it's all the same concept. And so you can actually contact them and they will share with you, you know, there's a huge library, we'll call it, of grant options available. And I'm I'm always kind of amazed at the options that are there. And if you're willing to kind of dig and, and try to find what's, sometimes people just don't want to take the time to do that. And you can stumble across across some pretty great things if you if you do take just carve out a couple hours to really dig in and find what the options are for what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of scholarships, like when I was applying yes. for scholarships. <laughs> like I thought it was going to be so competitive, and they're like, "Yeah, nobody else applied. You were the only one who wrote the, the essay, yeah. so you get it." And I think probably grants are a little bit like that too. Exactly, and I've heard of you know people who didn't even um, give out all their grants last year because of COVID. People just didn't apply because I think it just wasn't on their radar. And so a lot of these even have leftover funds from last year that they're looking to give out this year. So they have even more to give away this year. So if you're thinking about it, I would encourage you to go for it this year because your chances might be a little bit better. Worth the footwork, it sounds like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about benefits of small town entrepreneurship. Um, let's go to the other side. What are some of the obstacles that you see with all the entrepreneurs you work with and business owners? What are some of the most common things that they run into that can be a struggle? I think, you know, sometimes there are not a lot of people in our towns. And so foot traffic can be difficult. And if there's no other store in your town, it can be hard to draw people. And I always say, like, if you make yourself unique and you give people a reason to come, they will. And so that's a way to overcome that. But 
you know, sometimes that is just limited and it's not a fault of anyone. It's just that we only have such a big pool of people in our area and that's what we have to work with. So, you know, if it's a very niche business, it may be hard to do that in a small town just because you don't have the people around you to support it. But maybe online is a better option for that, you know? So I think you just have to look at the scenario. Um, I also think, you know, our small towns, like you said, we're, we're stuck a little bit in this is the way it's always been. And so that can be a big hurdle to overcome sometimes. Um, I will say that the towns that I have seen be successful with bringing revival to their communities, there's the common denominator there is that there is always someone there who's casting vision. And if you don't have that, oftentimes it's, you can't rally the people, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you do have someone who's casting vision, and I know that's a big responsibility. And sometimes you can feel very defeated in doing that because people don't always come around. Like you said, some people like how it's always been and they don't really want to see it change. Um, But I feel like if we want to keep our towns alive for our kids and for the next generation, we've got to pour into them and keep them growing and keep them moving into the future. And so as hard as it is to let go of the past sometimes, you know, it's like I said, bringing that link from the past into the future and just keeping that going. And so that can be a difficult task, but in the end, I think it's worth it because it's worth saving our small towns. And, you know, sometimes again, it just takes people time to get their head around it. Like the first time they hear it, they might be like, no, but the more they hear it. And once they start to see what you're doing and that it's having a positive effect, they oftentimes will come around. So if you're stuck in that place of like, I'm casting vision and nobody, you know, keep going because once they start to see what you're doing, oftentimes it will start to shift things in them. And as much as they maybe didn't want it in the beginning, they start to see that, oh, this actually really is good for our town. So. Yeah. It's tough. Like I, I underestimated how hard that piece would be when we Mm -hmm. embarked on our project just last week, even I was so frustrated. I told Christian, like, if one more person tells me I have to do it this way, because that's how we've always done it. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to go like nuts. I'm like, I can't hear that one more time. And I, I love old things. Like that's my whole, that's my whole vibe is old fashioned, old, you know, keeping it cool and traditional. But I'm like, there's some things that should not be con- uh, perpetuated. There's some things right, that right. need to be retired exactly. and they're very dysfunctional. And so it's hard sometimes like people have different visions. So, uh, of what is supposed to be going forward and what should, should stay in the past. But, yeah. And um, I will say too, you know, you have to kind of think about it from a perspective of you have a group of people who are willing to invest in your town's future whether that be current residents, people who graduated from there, maybe someone whose family used to live there. I mean, those are kind of your people who are going to care about um, maybe donating money or donating their time into what you're doing to move the town forward. And so I would just encourage people to be strategic about that. You know, think about what's the best way to use those funds that are coming in. And how do we not give that all to one project if we have three different things that we really need to get done or, you know, which one needs to come first? 
So I would encourage towns to be strategic with that so that you're maximizing the money that you do have available for these projects that are coming in through things like donations or even the grant funds too. Uh, Definitely. I like the idea of of keeping it, you know, diversified as much as you can. Just keep multiple fronts moving forward when possible. I think that probably makes people, you know, a little bit of something for everybody when that works out. Yep, definitely. So you mentioned foot traffic, which is definitely can be a challenge. What are your best tips for marketing a rural business or a small town business? How do you overcome that just lack of a body sometimes when we're looking at people coming in and out of a store? Yeah, I would say give people a cool experience and a cool reason to come. So um, I have seen a lot of people start inviting food trucks to come to their community, which that's been a city thing for a while now, but it's we're just starting to see that in our small towns. And if you get somebody who has, is a well-known food truck or just has something interesting, that can be a huge draw for people. You know, try to think outside the box. Even in, if you have a shop, who can you invite to do a pop-up in your shop that would draw some people, you know? Um, people want a fun experience. They want a reason to go to things. And so think about it from that perspective. What kind of experience can I provide for them that would make them want to come to my town. And I've seen people drive, you know, from cities, they'll drive hour, hour and a half one way to come have that cool experience if you create it for them and you provide it. So um, a lot of times it is just kind of thinking outside the box or even like partnering with someone maybe from a city, like a chef, or I'm just trying to think a florist, you know, who could come in and do a cool class for people in your community. Um, if you start getting known for having things like that, then people start looking for it from you. They're like, oh, when's their next thing? I want to come out to that again from my city or whatever it might be. So um, I just, you know, there's so many cool things that we can do these days and that are working. And so I love Instagram for that reason, because you can just kind of scroll through and see, oh, that idea actually would work in my town. So um, that's a good source of inspiration if you're looking for ideas. And um, yeah, I think just getting outside the box, thinking creatively and providing that experience for people is really a key piece. And, um, you know, coming up with reasons for to come to your town. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder, I'm curious if you've noticed this. I feel like, you know, it's, it can be a detriment to be in in an isolated community with not as many humans there, but also it can almost make what you're doing a little more impactful because you don't have as much competition, like for lack of a better word. You know, I I have always thought if like the soda fountain was in um, Denver, it would probably do great, but it would be harder to get people to pay attention to it because there's so much to offer or so much being offered in Denver. Whereas when it's in Chugwater, it's weird and out of the way and quirky, but it's almost like more of a thing to get on the road and be like, we're going to Chugwater for, for a milkshake. So I, I feel like it, it can be a benefit as long as you have the experience that you're providing. Absolutely. And if you could even get like a, you know, a couple of things that we talk about, like in our cultivate group is like getting a, how to get a photojournalist to come. Cause if you can get somebody like that to come and, and blog or do a video segment about what you're doing in your town or your business, that's huge. And it just reaches more people excited about coming. We also talk about, you know, sometimes you have to have conversations with your key people. Like when someone comes into your town, who are the people that they interact with? Like if they stop at the convenience store to get gas, 
and they ask the cashier at the convenience store, what is there to do here? I mean, so many times that response is, oh, there's not much to do here. You got to train those people to say, oh, well, we have this, this, and this. So that those, you know, waitresses, that's another great example, like, because they get asked that question a lot. So think of who those people are. They're like the five things about our town that we want communicated to people visiting or people coming through. And then make sure they're saying that instead of saying like, oh, there's not really much to do. There actually is. We just have to get them talking about it. So that can be just, that can be a game changer, honestly, um, because it can encourage, it's the deciding factor between, are we going to spend some time here? Are we going to keep going? So make sure you give them reasons to spend some time there. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you have any tips for people who are looking at getting more local, I guess, I guess marketing, like um, radio ads or newspaper, or if there's mm-hmm. regional publications, how can someone start to get their word out there? Maybe not necessarily like, I mean, they could put an ad in those places, but like getting mm-hmm. interviews or getting featured. What are your suggestions on that? Yeah, I mean, if you get, it kind of goes back to that whole thing of giving people a compelling reason to come, giving them an experience. If you have that, I find that, you know, word of mouth is probably our best advertising in a small town because everybody talks. We know that. Um, so if you have something great, that people are excited about, they're going to tell people. And that is your best advertisement and it's free. Um, But, you know, thinking beyond that, that happens if you are reaching out to news people or even the local newspaper to maybe do not an ad in their paper, but maybe to get them to do a story about what you're doing. You know, what is that unique thing that's going to get people excited? And then invite them to come and be a part of it and hope that they will, you know, do a story about it. And so also like having great photos to put on social media is a huge win for you, you know? And if, if that's not your thing, maybe find like a high schooler or somebody who has an eye for it, who can come in and help you with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, maybe you don't have a local photographer, but it's just finding the right person who has an eye for it and who just like loves taking photos. So, um, I think those things can sell your business probably more than anything, um, because we're such a visual culture right now, you know, everything's visual. And if you have good pictures and you're showing these cool things that you're doing, um, it just generates a lot of interest and it gets people interested in what you're doing and they want to know more. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Dana, any last bits of advice for those listening and who are interested in reviving their small town? Oh, I just want to encourage you all and say thank you for what you're doing. I know so much of what people are doing across America, rural America, can go without a thank you or it feels like underappreciated. But what you're doing matters. It really matters. And it's it matters for the future of your community. And so keep going. Um, if you're looking for some like-minded people to help cheer you on, come follow us at Rural Revival because that's what we're all about. And we want to cheer you on in that. And, um, I just, I applaud everyone who is taking the risk and, you know, every person that I interview on my podcast, when I'm like, what advice would you have? And almost every one of them says, just go for it. And so, you know, if you're on the fence about, man, should I do this or not? Like, just go for it. Give it a try. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But what if it does? And you just never know. So keep going and good job. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like the, you know, what if it doesn't work? But, but what if it does? Like, that's yeah. the question. That's the, the question I don't want to leave unanswered. Um, yeah. And that drives me forward for a lot of things. 
Well, I love what you're doing too. And I'm so excited to follow along and just, it's very exciting what you're doing in Chugwater. Thank you. We are excited too. Lots yes. to do, but it's, it's good. So, <laughs> it's an adventure. Yes. Um, so where remind folks where they can find you online. Cause I know you have the Facebook group and you have Instagram and a website kind of, and the podcast. So kind of give us a quick rundown of where pe- folks can find you. Sure. The podcast is available on all podcast platforms and you can find me. Our main social channel is Instagram. We're on both Instagram and Facebook at Rule Revival Co. And then you can find our website at ruleRevival.co. And if you don't mind, I am going to say we are doing a collective cookbook of farm to table recipes. So this group, I'm sure you have like amazing things that you might want to contribute and uh, you can find all that information on our website, but it's you can submit your recipes there and I'd love to have you be a part of it. So awesome. That sounds exciting. <clears throat> right up my alley. So I know, I know. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. This is very encouraging and very helpful. Um, and I am very excited for anyone who's been listening and who has had these questions about rural town revival <laughs> to be able to have someone who they can relate to and have that community and not feel so alone. So, so good what you're doing. And I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, friends, that's it for today's episode. As always, you can follow along with me over on Facebook at at the Prairie Homestead or on Instagram, also at the Prairie Homestead. And yeah, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch up on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. Mm -hmm.